Hello, this is Dan Farisi, Editor-in-Chief with Commercial Integrator and host of the AV Plus podcast, welcoming you to AV Plus, the podcast for the commercial AV integration industry. I'm especially excited about this week's podcast because we're talking to two real uh, luminaries in the industry, two leaders among women in our industry, and the topic is the Rosie Riveters fundraiser, and in general, the idea of attracting more girls, more young women into the STEM world, and by extension of that, hopefully, into our industry family. It should be a great conversation. We hope to really illuminate this topic. It's all coming to you right now on AB+. As always, please like and subscribe to our YouTube page, and please subscribe to the AV Plus podcast on Apple and on Spotify. This podcast is sponsored by ViewSonic. With 35 years of display expertise, ViewSonic offers a wide range of workplace solutions, including direct view LED video walls for lobbies and auditoriums, large format displays for conference rooms and training rooms, interactive displays for small meeting spaces, and executive monitors for homes and offices. Check out the link in the show notes to learn more. Really excited to be joined today by Erica Carroll, who is Senior Manager, Product Training and Adoption with Mersive, as well as Jennifer Goodyear, who is Sales Manager with RT Sales Inc. Erica, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me today and being on AV+. Thank you. Thanks, for having us. So as I said in the beginning, we're going to be talking about the Rosie Riveters fundraiser, how people can contribute to that, the good work that Rosie Riveters is doing. But before we get into the specifics of that, knowing that both you, Erica, and you, Jennifer, are leaders in the industry, do try to raise your voices and amplify important causes, not just do your day job, so to speak, but actually better the industry as a whole and use your platform to try to be a, a force for good. Can you talk a little bit, both of you respectively, about why you want to leverage your status as an industry leader to try to change things and make them better? Why is it not enough to just, quote unquote, do our day jobs? Why should we be looking beyond that? I'll speak to that. Um, So we've learned it's no longer just a guessing game. There's true facts out there and studies that show that with equality and diversity, our entire industry is going to profit from it. All of the most successful businesses, not just in our industry, but one of, most of the most successful businesses, the decision makers, there's an equality between men and women. So we want our entire industry to benefit from this. And for me, on a personal note, I'm within a family industry and I have all of these men in my company that have supported me and And I feel like that's how I've gotten to where I am. And I want to be that family member for other women within our industry that aren't as lucky to have their family backing them. So that's why I feel like I need to use my platform to help out in that respect. So for me, we've worked on the Women's Council for a long time, and we've worked with Avixa and the Avixa Foundation. And we've already recognized all of these problems that we're trying to fix, but there hasn't been a lot of action behind it. And when Jen and I met for the first time, we had a conversation about, yeah, this is great. We're empowering women. We can host these networking events, but what else can we do? And what is an actual, a thing that actually moves that needle? And I mean, I always love a good passion project. I've had multiples of them (laughs) in the past, 
Um, and getting together with Jen and figuring out that we can really impact our industry by partnering with Rosie Riveters and making sure that we're taking actionable steps forward makes the most sense to use my leverage, my tenure, my own platform in the AV industry. And those actionable steps are so important to pick up a little bit on what you were saying, Jennifer. I think we all do share a collective responsibility, not just to make sure that our industry is sustainable and has a, a, a pipeline of talent coming to populate us into the future, but also that it reflects the industries that we serve, reflects the end users that we serve in terms of demographics, in terms of race, in terms of all the different metrics. We have a responsibility, I think, as members of the industry, especially ones with a relatively high profile, to find a way to make us even better and to make us more optimized for a very diverse, a very heterogeneous society that's going to expect commercial AV practitioners to recognize the diversity of viewpoints and needs and life experiences that society brings to the table. And I think that's something that may have been overlooked for quite a while, that idea that different life experiences and different personal stories actually do affect in very real ways the work that we do. But I give kudos to, to you, Jennifer, you, Erica, and everyone you work with on the council, et cetera, for, I think, raising our collective consciousness to that. Yeah, absolutely. And to speak to the fact that it was overlooked for a little while, we are seeing those numbers now that 20, 30 years ago, overlooking the fact that there should maybe be some diversity or some helping put some equity out there, because the numbers are showing that not only are there 15% less women in our industry, but of those 15%, I think it's less than five or under the age of 40, which just tells us there's no young girls entering our industry. And so Erica and I are not naive within our goals. We don't believe that five years from now, there's going to be 50% women in our industry. That would be awesome. But we really are setting up these goals. We are intervening and talking to third graders, fourth graders, fifth graders, showing them there's a career path so that hopefully 20, 30 years from now, we are seeing that difference. Not just from bringing girls into the industry, which I absolutely, that is the, the main part of this focus, but Rosie Riveters is not exclusive to just girls. We're talking to entire classrooms. So that, that's all children exposing AV as a career path and really sort of opening that gate for them to, to follow. Where most of us I know have just fallen into AV you know, we'd, we'd like to figure out what it looks like when somebody intentionally comes into AV. That would be novel. Yeah. I mean, so many people, even when I was doing the 40 under 40 last year, people who are incredible industry contributors, a, a, an amazing number of them did do that falling into AV thing where I was a bartender, then one thing led to the next. And now I work for an integrator or something like that mm -hmm. to have a more intentional path, especially for those young girls who we have such a paucity of in the industry right now, I think is essential. We've already alluded to Rosie Riveters a few times, and in my introduction, I talked about how its raison d'etre or its mission is to attract girls and young women into STEM and possibly STEM fields. But for those who are not fully familiar with Rosie Riveters or who, or who would like kind of a primer on what they do, before we get into the fundraiser, can you talk a bit about the organization? Sure. So Rosie Riveters is a 501c3 based out of Virginia, and they focus on building girls' confidence through STEM kits and through a productive struggle. So two 
parts to it. Number one is giving them the confidence to actually get through the pro the problem and figure it out and feel that pride and confidence once they've reached the end. But the second part of it is the actual project itself, which allows them to think differently and use their problem solving skills in a STEM related field, whether that's technology or whether it's last year, it was a binary coding kit is specifically what we built um, to introduce that computers speak a different language, which eventually would lead to programming um, for our industry. But Rosie Riveters is there to intervene at those, you know, the very special ages from third to fifth grade and even beyond that into middle school and high school to be able to follow them and help guide them in any way if they want to go into a STEM career. Is that third to fifth grade time frame meaningful in a particular way? Like, is that a point when you can really spur a child's interest and get them on a track so that they will be interested in and explore STEM as they continue to develop on their learning, learning journey? Yes. And there's actually an interesting study that Erica had shared with me that shows that around that six-year-old, seven-year-old age, girls begin to lose their confidence. And before, when they're about the age of five, if they're asked to draw a doctor, they will draw her as a female because they're a female. It just comes natural to them. But when they get over that age, because of the way society and their confidence is developing, they almost always draw that doctor as a man now. Mm -hmm. So we really are getting to them at an age where a lot of times when they're doing these projects, they say, this isn't fair. This is hard. This is difficult. And for boys, they've been taught just to push through that. And we're showing girls that you're going to have a productive struggle and you're going to build your confidence because you can do this. That's absolutely wonderful to hear and to recognize that there is a window within which you can reach these these girls and not allow the systemic or the societal prejudices and stereotypes to so suffuse their mind that they do draw a doctor only as a male or a pilot only as a male, that there is a point when you can intercede and prevent that, or at least mitigate that is, is really powerful. So tell me a bit about this fundraiser. I know that there are lofty goals this year, and I, I hope to be able to facilitate making those goals attainable. But tell me about the fundraiser, what it entails, and what you're aiming to do. So last year, we started with a goal of $5,000 just to support our own city as local leaders in the Avixa Women's Council. And that $5,000 would be able to um, allow us to purchase all of the supplies to build binary coding kits, and then we're able to deliver them to a school locally. We blew that out of the water last year. The AV industry showed up in a huge way, and we are forever grateful because we were actually able to go into five cities um, and we raised over $30,000. So what that means for us this year is that's our base point. We are trying to raise $30,000 this year. Our stretch goal will be 50,000, but we need that 30,000 to be able to re-engage with those local schools and those kids so that we don't just send them a pamphlet once and they get to read about AV and then it's just done. We wanna go back into those schools. We wanna re-engage with them. We wanna provide more value, a new kit, and get in, in front of them again as the AV industry to continue that conversation. 
I want to give you kudos, especially on last year, though. If your goal originally had been 5,000 and you attained 30,000, a six times multiple on the original goal, that must have been very affirming to you both and, and to all of those involved in the Rosie the Riveters fundraiser, because it must have made it clear to you that even if for many, many years, the idea of equity and the idea of diversity in our industry was not really talked about or was not at the forefront of people's minds verbally, that people are starting to really recognize that it's in, in some sense an existential crisis that we have so few women in our industry, that we do still have so much homogeneity in our industry. Was it affirming to you to see that six times multiple on your goal? Oh, definitely. We uh, at first, so the first couple of weeks we started it, we were just sitting at $700, which was mostly Eric and I's donations at first, but that was before we had really started promoting it and everything. And so for a moment there, we were second guessing ourselves going, are we the only ones that feel this way? And then when corporate sponsors and title sponsors just started flowing in. We almost couldn't keep up with how much people were reaching out to us. We realized we are not the only ones that feel this way and we are not the only ones that want to see change. So it was absolutely affirming. So if people want to step up for this fundraiser, make sure we attain that $30,000 goal and perhaps even touch that $50,000 reach goal, what would be the best way that they could do that right now? The easiest way to get involved is through avgives.com. Uh, that's av, audiovisual, gives.com. <laughs> um, so you'll have a link to straight to the GoFundMe. And there's also a tab that says get involved. Now, at an individual level, you can get involved just by sharing the word. Obviously, monetary donations are always welcome, but not required. And companies can get involved. Again, monetary donations are welcome, but not required. <laughs> <laughs> But for companies, you can get involved by um, hosting events. We're going to have these packing parties. And if you want to get involved and share your event space with us, or even just a cafeteria, it doesn't specifically need to be an event space. Um, we need locations to be able to build these kits. Um, and there's other ways to get involved too. You can do corporate matching programs or anything like that. We can get creative. And that's something that we learned last year. We do have individual tiers that do have a couple of perks with them. But if you want to get creative, we are completely open to those conversations as well. That's a really important point as well, because everyone obviously does not have the same means as everyone else. So they might not be able to say, well, I, I can't afford to send $200 or something like that, but I want to help. How can I help? There are ways to do it beyond the monetary contribution. Uh, but of course, those are, as you say, very much welcome to, to reach that $30,000 goal and perhaps even that $50,000 reach goal. Can you give me a sense of how long this fundraiser will be going on? How long do we have to attain these goals? So that's going to be through Infocom. It's what we did last year and we found success with it. And obviously there's a lot of buzz around Infocom. So we'll, we will keep taking donations um, through Infocom, but we also will have our shirts available for sale. And we will usually have a table at the Evixa Women's Council breakfast, which mm -hmm. always sells out. So make sure you get a ticket to that. And uh, we'll be able to talk to people more about it there as well. Absolutely. Um, just speaking about the Avixa Women's Council, knowing that the incredible work that it does, I think of all the councils that Avixa has, it's the one with the, the most activity and the most members. Um, 
just give me a sense of the good work that whether it's the Evicted Women's Council or the new organization Wave It, the, the work that these organizations are doing in our industry to amplify some of the points we've talked about so far. Because I think a lot of times some of us can be a little bit myopic. We're so focused on our day-to-day -day tasks that we're not always looking at what everyone is doing, as we were talking about earlier, for the betterment of the industry as a whole. And I'd like to give those organizations a bit of a platform to say, this is the good work that these people are doing. So the Avixa Women's Council has been an integral sponsor for us and this entire project, um, because while we're doing all of the fundraising now, they are really the ones that host the feet on the streets. They are the local groups that get together and actually build the kits and deliver to local schools. And then they do the re-engagement within that school as well. They're able to do career days and assemblies and um, in our case in Atlanta, we were able to go and actually help the kids build the kits and talk about AV and how it applies. Um, so in my experience, the Women's Council is definitely the most active group and the most, I mean, obviously they have the highest amount of members, but they're also the most willing to get out there and volunteer and spend time doing this. Yeah. Yeah, I have to say that the San Diego group did an incredible job and they actually got right away feedback saying, we want to do this again. So this year they'll be doing it again and they'll be re-engaging with students from their area. And they even had a success story where they had a Rosie Riveters alumni who was looking to get into video production that they were able to welcome into their group. So it's already working. That's wonderful to hear. I do want to go back uh, just to something we had talked about earlier, that idea of not necessarily always having an intentional path into this industry, both for women and girls and for people in general. How big of a problem do you think it is that there is not a clearer path for people to have their interest in AV nurtured at a young age and then to draw people in with some kind of a clear pathway into our community, not necessarily the IT community or other peripheral communities? How big of an issue is it that we do not have a clear magnet drawing people from their youth into our industry? I think it's... It's a reasonably sized problem. Now, the difference is that we are not a trade um, skill that children or, you know, high schoolers even learn, like you can learn other trades. But I will say that we are currently making strides in the right direction, right? There's universities. I know there's one in New York City, I believe, um, or at least in New York State, um, that is creating a, an AV path. Um, that you can graduate with with some sort of certificate or, or degree um, with a with a field in AV. Mm -hmm. um, but there's other organizations that are doing things as well. Cedia just launched their, you know, inaugural course or whatever. I, I, I don't know exactly what it is, but it sounds like we are sort of attacking this problem from a few different angles. And I think that looking forward, we are all just laying a, a, a great foundation to prime these kids to go into those programs and eventually come into AV intentionally. 
it, it, it makes me feel good. When I used to work in the musical products industry, I was a part of, uh, oh, I worked with NAM in some capacity when I was editing a music products magazine. And we would go to Capitol Hill every year to advocate for music programs and things of that nature. And it is so important to be able to start cultivating those interests in, in youth and give them access in school, whether it's extracurricular or actually part of the curriculum, those programs, to make sure that we are instilling these kind of interests and finding a way to to just stoke their curiosity and stoke their passion and and give them a foundation on which they can build even if it's not necessarily training or lessons or something like that it's just kind of stoking that fire that eventually can go in who knows how many different directions and and can last for a lifetime yeah i think i would love to see instead of there just being an av club that's viewed as a hobby an av class mm-hmm. It would sure be nice. And, and I know that there are a lot of organizations working very hard to try to make sure that there's more intentionality in how we nurture the next generation of AV professionals. Um, since we have talked a little bit about the disparity of how few women there are in our industry, even now as compared to men, even though the numbers are improved from say 10 years ago, I'm just kind of curious for both you, Jennifer, and you, Erica, do you feel like the, the vibe has changed or the mood has changed at industry events? Do you feel like women are treated with more respect? Do you think your knowledge is more recognized? I mean, you hear so many stories about people who, you know, someone will come to the booth, see a woman there and say, oh, can I speak to him about this? Because there's an assumption that as a woman, you're not going to understand. Is there less of that now? Or is there still that kind of pervading misogyny, for lack of a better way of saying it, where there's an assumption that because you're a female, you don't necessarily know as much as a man does? It certainly still happens. And uh, especially being in sales, I think there's even less women and it certainly still happens. But I will say the overall atmosphere has changed in a positive way. And I think, as we were saying earlier about how the AV industry stood up and just were being flooded with support for this, that shows us that they do want to see that change. And something Erica always talks about that I think is important is it's one thing just to support us, but you actually need to be an advocate out there in the fields. And even when the women aren't in the room, you need to support them. Can you talk more about that, Erica? Because you're so much better at talking about that than I. <laughs> yeah, I, it's really the difference in being an ally and being an advocate. We have a lot of allies. A lot of people say, yes, I support women. And yes, we hire women and I want to help in any way I can. But actually being an advocate for that person is standing up for them when they're not in the room. It's giving mm-hmm. them recognition when they're not in the room. Maybe it's putting them up for awards. Maybe it's introducing them to new opportunities or new connections when they don't know that it's happening. Um, And there's an intentionality that has to happen there, you know, really thinking about your entire network when an opportunity comes up, not just who might be the immediate best fit, but who might offer a different perspective. Yeah. And that difference of perspective is so important. We just uh, recently finished the story with uh, Ifat Chaudhry and Alicia Henley talking about diversity on panels and things of that nature. And it is so important, I think, to recognize that 
different lived experiences and different career trajectories and different backgrounds and just a different life from from mine or from someone else's is going to add nuance, is going to add perspective, is going to add value to panel discussions and conversations. It's why boardrooms, et cetera, always or almost always come up with better decisions when there isn't that groupthink of homogeneity. Um, so I think that's absolutely essential. I appreciate you drawing the distinction, Erica, between a mere ally, which is good, but it's still an ally versus an advocate, someone who's going to put themselves out there and make sure that they're hopefully making a difference on behalf of those who have been historically marginalized. Is there anything you would like to share either about the Rosie Riveters fundraiser, about the Evixa Women's Council, about your own advocacy work and leadership on these uh, on these scores that we haven't gone over yet? Because if so, I would love to give you a platform to do so. I think the biggest message that I just want to make sure we walk away with is the importance of this re-engagement. We are here to stay. We're going to be doing this event year after year to make sure that we continue to re-engage with these students, um, with all of these girls. To uh, Ultimately, the idea is you can't be what you don't see. And the more that we give them the opportunity to see us standing up in AV with successful careers, rewarding careers, the more apt they are to follow in our footsteps. Yeah, and I'll add to that saying that what we brought up earlier, we really mean if you have a creative idea of how we could do this better, how you could help, please reach out to us because we are all ears. We know that we're not going to change the industry, just the two of us. So if you want to help and, it, and it's not necessarily just finances, please reach out to us. I want to go back to what you said, Erica. You can't be what you don't see. That is such an important message. And knowing that organizations like Rosie Riveters are giving women and girls, young girls and women, an opportunity to look at exemplars of excellence in STEM fields and say, that can be me one day. That can be a path that I can take. It's attainable for me. I can see it. It's so important. I give both Jennifer and you, Erica, a lot of credit for being a leader in this movement. I want to see that $30,000 goal attained, and I hope indeed we get to the $50,000 reach goal. Just as a reminder of how people can go ahead and participate, can you give that web URL one more time? Sure. The website is avgives.com. And the fundraiser goes right through Infocom. So there is uh, there is time yet, but certainly I would encourage everyone to go over to that site as quickly as possible. And even if you can't afford a monetary donation, there are ways, as Erica said, to help. There are ways to pitch in, to provide resources. And I hope all of us collectively as an AV community can get behind this. But thank you so much, Erica. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for taking time to join me on AV Plus today and share your advocacy with us and our audience. Thank Thanks you for having us. So happy to have been joined once again by Erica Carroll, who is Senior Manager, Product Training and Adoption with Mersive, as well as Jennifer Goodyear, who is Sales Manager with RT Sales, Inc. My name is Dan Farisi, Editor-in-Chief with Commercial Integrator and host of AV Plus, the podcast for the commercial AV integration industry. Please check back on commercialintegrator.com each and every day for more insightful thought leadership content just like this. Until then, have a great day. Thanks. Thank you.